Welcome to the horror. Hi, I'm Owen Edgerton. I like horror movies. And I'm Russell Sharman, and I am not such a fan. You're Dr. Russell Sharman. That is true. PhD. Am, right. In, not medical, not medical doctor. I will give you medical advice, but it would probably be wrong. Well, getting wrong opinions from you is what this podcast is all about. <laughs> wow, I really, I really set you up for that one. Thank you. So today, yes, we are discussing Friday the 13th, not the original Friday the 13th. No. Not the second. What is it? Part two? Part two. Not Friday the 13th 3D, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken. That's right. No, we're jumping straight to the final chapter. That is the last Friday the 13th in the series. There was only four. <laughs> Friday the 13th, the final chapter, part four. That's what we're talking about today. That's right. 1984 classic, what many aficionados believe to be maybe the peak of an incredibly successful franchise. It has an outstanding cast, the basic storyline, and it, it takes place immediately after three, which takes place immediately after two. So two, three, and four are basically the same week. It's a right. very, very busy week for, for, for Jason. And uh, a, a family, a mom and her two kids live near Crystal Lake out in the woods alone. And then a group of teenagers come in and rent the cabin just across the way. And there's also another guy who's in the woods hunting down Jason because he thinks he's still out there in the woods. And murder and mayhem erupt. Till finally, finally Jason is taken down by a young, talented, and horror fan, Corey Feldman. First of all, Corey Feldman, Crispin Glover, like the, those names just made me happy. Oh. Seeing the opening credits. Yes. And Crispin Glover, I'll just go ahead and give you a preview of my favorite scene, is any scene with Crispin Glover. That is basically my favorite scene. <laughs> his dancing scene? His dancing scene could have been the whole movie. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And this was his first feature film. He had not That's been true. in a feature, yeah. Yeah, he'd done a little bit of television, but I'm pretty sure this was his first feature. All right, so obviously I was being facetious in the opening. This was not the final chapter. No. Uh, there, I get, I, there are many, yeah. many more of these ridiculous entries in the franchise. What can you tell us about why, why did, they, did they think it was the end? Because one thing I did notice, though I, 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 I say I don't do research, I did notice that these things were coming hot and heavy in the 80s. It seemed like every year... <laughs> they put out another Friday the 13th until the well dried up. But did they think this was the actual final chapter? Yeah, they actually did. I'll tell you why I chose this one as well. So yeah, the, the film started out, the first film was released in 1980, uh, Friday the 13th, it was a huge hit for a low budget, made boncos of money. And they sort of continued after that to be like, oh gosh, you know, we, we don't have to spend much money on this, but this is great, and was bringing in the money. And uh, I chose four because four is such classic Jason. Like Jason has his mask. Of course, in the first film, you probably know this, Russell, even though you're not a horror fan, the first film, Jason is not the killer. You know this? Yes, I do know this. I do remember this. Okay, good. So yeah, his mother's the killer. Which of course, if you didn't know that, they do this previously on Friday the 13th, <laughs> the series. Yes. Uh, in the beginning of this movie, sort of recapping everything that's gone before. Which is beautifully edited. They take that, the, the, that's a scene from, the, the sort of around the campfire scene from uh, Friday the 13th part two, 
my second favorite. So, well, number six is pretty great too. Anyway, so number two, which is great, but number two, although it's really, really fun, I, in fact, I'd say a better film than the first one, a lot more exciting. Jason kind of wears a sack on his head with one hole. He looks a little bit like the elephant man. Then they made three in 3D, which made bonkers of money. It was like the most successful 3D movie ever. I think Jaws 3 kind of maybe was battling for title there. And that's where Jason finally gets the hockey mask. And then in four, everything comes together. We, we've just does, it, got, does everything, it, does everything it, come together? Everything comes together. <laughs> Where It's everything that we love about Friday the 13th movies in the same way that the first one gave uh, Kevin Bacon a huge, his first big breakout film. This, this gave Crispin Glover his big moment <laughs> that he'd been looking for. You've got this iconic killer who cannot die. You've got set piece after set piece. You got everything that makes up a 1980s horror slasher is in this movie. Lots of nudity, lots of teen sex, and lots of brutality. <laughs> yeah, you know, from a, a sort of 30,000 foot view, I understand a lot of the views of the slasher film and the idea of the final girl and sort of being punished for sexual promiscuity or you know, doing drugs or drinking alcohol, you're gonna get killed by the slasher. And like all these things seem to be at play. In, in some ways, watching this, and we'll get to all of the ways I hated this movie, but in some ways, it seemed like this was almost a satire of itself in how hard it was hitting these, these sort of, uh, you know, breaking these sort of social taboos and the consequences. And in particular, the one that stood out to me the most for its being an exception to this was the, the hitchhiker? Yes. And yet it seemed as though they were still trying to shoehorn in this idea by having her eat a very phallic banana. And somehow that justified her <laughs> brutal killing. That that was enough of, you know, dipping a toe into sex that she deserved to die. Okay, so I'm going to challenge your preconception here. I, come, on, come on down out, out of the, the, the tower, if you don't mind. Come down to Earth, where, where we live, buddy. I don't think that the idea in this film is that people are being punished for sexual promiscuity or for breaking social taboos at all. In fact, I would say, and, and I got to say this in a really honest way, like watching this and one of the reasons I chose it was like, well, how would I defend this? It's a bit of a different film than say for something like The Exorcist or The Thing, which I'm like, oh, just film wise, I have this brilliant uh, film aspect and, and fill of dread and some wild ideas. This one is more of a fun, thrilling ride. I was like, well, why do I love it? Including the stuff about sexuality and drinking and taboos. I think this movie is so full of life and so full of death. The death is kind of obvious, but what makes those sort of death fun and thrilling is that is a lot of life in it. And a lot of life for teenagers is experimenting with sexuality, falling in love for the first time, being away from parents, skinny dipping. All these things are just filled with vitality. And, and I think those moments of vitality, they're not being punished for them in any way. Uh, there's not like a character goes, well, I'm not gonna have sex. And like, oh, well, Jason doesn't kill you. I was kind of waiting for that. I was kind of waiting for, the one actor, I can't remember her name in the, in the film, but she ends up in the shower scene. I thought, oh, okay, there's our final girl. 
But it, dev it definitely subverted that expectation. Yeah, that was a, a theory that a lot of people talked about in like Halloween, definitely in the original Friday the 13th of this idea of being punished for sexuality. I mean, Jason's mom is very much of like, the, the counselors were having sex while my son drowned. And that's why she's taking revenge. So that is there. In this one though, I don't think that's what's going on. I do think that Jason represents quite clearly and really simply death. And so this is a death comedy. It is uh, the way that we, in, in the same way that kids are being kind of introduced to sexuality, but they're also sort of learning about mortality. And, and I think that's why this movie works so brilliantly well. Not that people are being punished for the taboos, but they're so celebrating, they're celebrating the taboos. And when Crispin Glover gets together with, I can't believe, I mean, if it was Tina, one of the twins. Yes. And uh, that's a great moment. It's, it, it, no one is saying, ah, you did a boo-boo, you broke a, you know, you sinned, and now you're gonna die. Quite the opposite. It's like. You are alive. You're you're celebrating. You're dancing and living, and you're going to die <laughs> in a in a gruesome, gruesome way. Uh, I mean, I can certainly understand that perspective. And you're right. I, I I definitely come to it with a preconceived idea about how these movies work. But you have to admit, it is pretty easy to lay that template over it because, in fact, the only survivors are a, a ten-year-old boy and the one character who does not have sex or is in any way associated with sex. Even the mom, there, there is a moment when they're jogging in the beginning and her daughter says something about her being horny. So it was even there, there's, there's still a little bit of a, nope, she's worthy of death. Sure. So I, I hear what you're saying yeah. about that interpretation, but it's pretty easy to lay that template over this movie. Sure, too. sure. No, I, I can see that. I mean, Trish, you know, Trish has her thing for the guy in the woods, uh, you know, the, 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 the guy who's hunting Jason. She obviously has kind of a crush on her, but you're right. You're right. She, she doesn't go skinny dipping and she's definitely, I mean, she's never eats a banana. Um, <laughs> I, I'm only putting that out there because I, I think it, it, it is one of those sort of ideas that is like, oh, I, this is what this means. And like, I, you know, I don't know. For a couple of reasons, I don't think necessarily when this script was being written, it was being written as a mortality tale or morality tale, that is. I, I, don't, I don't think there was that thinking behind it. I think there was a thinking of like, let's have a thrilling party with the things that thrill us, which is danger, sex, taboo, and death. Right, I, I'm totally on board with that interpretation in the sense that it, it allows me to argue that the filmmakers had no real bigger intentions. It was just, let's show a lot of teen sex and a lot of gore, and that's what they gave us. Right, and in some ways, I think you're gonna be feeling, I don't know, I don't wanna speak for you, uh, but you you were like, oh, so that lacks value. But I'm like, wait a second, I don't know if it does lack value simply because it is a rock song of a movie. It is entertaining and it moves us. And, and like, I think, in the same way that a teen party or Crispin Glover dancing, it's filled with life. They're always surprising each other. There's a, quite a lot of like, oh, no, it's just me, <laughs> you know, moments in the film. And for me, I was like, oh yeah, because we do that a lot as kids, that we love surprising each other. We love scaring each other. And perhaps it's a similar emotion to our thrill of sexuality, our, our thrill of public nudity, and like skinny dipping, all those things, maybe they're kind of together. So maybe even if the film wasn't trying to go for a deeper message, it's communicating one anyway. Well, that could be true of any piece of art, right? It, it, yeah. Then you remove intentionality. It's not about what the filmmaker was trying to do. It's about what you're bringing to it. You're bringing, as Owen Edgerton, you're bringing this lust for life, this celebration of youth, and the, the sort of the other side of that coin 
which is a violent death. And there's a part of you that is thrilled by that. And uh, I, I see it, I guess, a little differently. I see it as both a kind of tropey morality tale, uh, don't, don't have sex, don't do drugs, or you will be brutally dismembered. And at the same time, like you said, we're, we're moved by it. I wasn't moved by it. Honestly, when I was trying to think, I almost texted this to you after I finished the movie. I was actually bored. I thought it was boring. Partly because it seems so clear they were in no way interested in creating any kind of narrative framework for what was about to happen. It was just a kind of sequence of... Uh, party scenes and then brutal death, but but trying to, uh, ex for example, no need to explain how Jason reanimates. That's not important. We just need him to be this threat that goes around shoving arrows through people's throats, and that's all that matters. So we don't even need to explain that. Honestly, the the one of my favorite scenes, and this is somewhat facetious as well, but it, it is one of my favorite scenes. There's a scene in the tent with Trish, I think her yes. name is, and and. Rob, maybe, and he fills in the blanks. Yes, he says, "No, he, you know, this is how he survived." He, and yes, his body is missing, and the there's two people from the morgue are missing, and and suddenly I felt, oh, plot. There's plots I can hold on to. I have some sense of like what this story is about, and I would I locked in in that scene, whereas before I was just almost drumming my fingers of, all right. When are we going to get the fake out surprise and then the actual surprise and then the fake out surprise and the use of music to sell these sort of jarring moments that I felt like I was sort of being slapped in the face every 45 seconds was not enjoyable to me. That, that's not fun to have the, the score sort of come on and say, gotcha. Uh, every time I turn around, it, it got tedious. I, uh, I don't, I think maybe we should just end the podcast. I, <laughs> I just don't know where to go from here. <laughs> I mean, you, so you, you didn't have fun watching this film. I mean, no, I, like I said, uh, Crispin Glover is a joy to watch. I, I, you know, I, I really did have fun watching him on screen, uh, or even Corey Feldman. I, there's a certain nostalgia element to seeing Corey Feldman on, on screen at any age yeah, at this yeah. point. Uh, so, so I certainly enjoyed him. And, and there were moments that I, I also sort of like, oh, certainly Trish jumping through the window, you know, thanks to you, I now have a kind of cinematic language for this genre. And I'm thinking, oh, there's a clear reference to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Very, oh, I'm so proud of you. That's so good. <laughs> so it's not that I am, uh, you know, completely cut off from some of the ways the film is trying to, to do something interesting. I thought that opening sequence cinematically was was really creative and interesting. The 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 sort of the chaos of all the police. Yeah, I mean the recap, um, which we we maybe could have a conversation, especially since horror is so given to this conceit of a franchise with multiple iterations. Yeah, I think to a certain extent it is a sort of precursor to what we now experience as episodic television and streaming content. You know, whether it's the Marvel movies or Friday the Thirteenth. They're glorified TV series at this point. Right. And so in some ways, the recap at the beginning does feel like a previously on. But uh, past that, when you got the, the, the police swarming the compound or wherever the end of the third one takes place with the, with the quote-unquote death of, of Jason, there was something actually really appealing about that slow push-in and the chaos and then how everyone sort of leaves and the camera just stays yeah. 
on that location, wherever it was, as it falls back into silence. I thought that was that was actually some beautiful filmmaking. There's there's a a lot of beautiful patience in the beginning, and I I think partially what they did. I mean, from what I understand, Zito, the the director, wasn't wild about having those uh, previously on Friday the Thirteenth. But you know, this was the early '80s. You know, this was even before video getting as wildly popular as they were would uh, in the decade, and so there was a sense of like. Hey, let's just sort of, you know, let's do catch everybody up. I, and I think also for him is like a little bit like, okay, we're going for the rush. Uh, and this movie kind of doubled up. There were more people killed. There was more nudity. There was more of everything in this movie from the ones uh, previous. And so, yeah, we're going to start out with like, hey, we'll show you some of the best kills from the first couple of movies. <laughs> well, you know, and honestly, that's what it felt like. That's, yeah. I think that's why ultimately the movie bored me. And, and not that I didn't jump a few times. Absolutely, I did. But you slap me in the face enough times, I'm going to react. So I don't know that that's a fair uh, assessment of the quality of the film, just because you use a little bit of a, a jolt of music. Of course, it's going to make me jump. Thank God. I, I'm just glad there's a heart beating in that dead soul of yours. <laughs> but it felt like a highlight reel of all the stuff that for the last several episodes I've talked about that I don't like about the genre. So you can't be surprised that... I'm not going to go for this one because it seems to, un, not unlike Basket Case in some ways, to just go all in on only the bits that people associate with the genre and very little of, of story, character, uh, giving us some space, giving us some sense of where this is going and why. Now, I say that and I actually also really dig the ending. And I don't yeah. just mean the coda and the close-up on on Feldman's eyes, but the layering in of this kid being fascinated with special effects makeup, whether or not he's actually able to make such sophisticated latex masks <laughs> in this cabin in the woods, we'll set that aside. But it, you know, the, the, the idea of shaving his head and, and, and becoming, spoiler alert, I suppose, of Jason as a kid, I, I did appreciate that and thought that was, that was pretty cool. And I felt like, I felt like that was paying off something that the movie was, was building up to in a nice way because it contrasted with so much that had gone before that just felt cheap and easy in terms of jump scares. Yeah. I mean, that w one of the cool things with that, so so the character that Feldman plays, uh, Tommy Jarvis, he's basically being based a little bit on Tom Savini. Tom Savini is a makeup artist who has worked on uh, so many of the horror movies from the 80s, 90s, and on. He's still working today. But he was actually a photographer uh in Vietnam. And he took his firsthand experience of death and gore and basically channeled it into beautiful and horrific design. So they basically based Corey Feldman's young character, a, a, a young Tom Savini. And Tom Savini worked on this project. Tom Savini was in the, worked on the film. And, and I love it too. I love the idea that the one person who is able to survive this horror movie is the fan of horror movies. It's like this little kid is really the only one who's like going, hey, by the way, monsters, I, I'm aware of monsters. I'm going to open my eyes to monsters. And therefore, he has the know-how to defeat Jason. So that's what I'm trying to do to you. I'm trying to introduce you to monsters, so when it comes down to it, you'll be able to survive. I just wish the monster in this case were a more compelling monster. Certainly, the Jason in this iteration of Friday the 13th is an intimidating, brutal killer, so in that sense, formidable. But I, the, the Friday the 13th that I remember, as a, so I've only seen the first one, and I, and I saw it as a very young person, I don't remember how old I was, but certainly a preteen, uh, saw it in uh, my my 
grandfather's cabin in North Carolina. I think I've mentioned this in the past. Watch Friday the 13th, and then we were sleeping in like a, a basement level bunk room with one of those windows that just opens to the ground level that's sort oh. of above ice. It, it, it was, I did not sleep. I remember still the visceral feeling of terror that whole night after watching that movie. And so maybe it's impossible for me now as an adult to revisit them and recapture some of that horror, which may be why there's a part of me that feels like horror movies, know, they work well for kids. Wow. So, uh, so See, my profession you're talking about. <laughs> so well, you make, you make stuff for kids. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so in some ways, and, and it was not unlike my experience of watching Nightmare on Elm Street, this, this feeling of, I, I remember being scared. I remember being terrified by this character and and in particular in this one i mean with nightmare freddy to me was more of a cartoonish character and we talked about sort of the comedy of that that movie and and especially england's performance but in this one a he's not in it very much just like with nightmare in the sense that we get so much of the the teens cavorting and then these occasional flashes of violence from jason but second he is this kind of oafish character that that seems to have no personality except must kill. And, and for some reason, yeah. you know, that is so much less compelling to me than a killer that maybe because it's, it's a killer that I, that I can identify with and that's what's terrifying. You know, the movies that maybe perhaps truly disturb me are ones where you're only a few sideways steps away from from true evil but this guy, I just, in some ways, I actually thought for moments of, of Frankenstein, but then I thought, I caught myself and realized, no, Frankenstein's monster is actually a far more interesting character than Jason. I agree. Uh, in that Frankenstein's monster is a far more interesting character. In fact, somewhere down the line, we'll, we'll watch Bride of Frankenstein, which is one of the greatest movies ever made. But I think maybe you're maybe asking for something that the film is not giving, which is okay. Oh, I definitely am asking for something <laughs> that the film is not giving. <laughs> But, but now Jake, we can end the podcast. <laughs> but but you should appreciate. Maybe this is what I'm trying to do with this one particularly. Of like, so it, instead of asking for this to be The Exorcist, and, and for me too, of like enjoy it for what it is. So part of me is like, well, why do I love this movie? And I love it not. I don't think because like, oh, it existentially scares me. Because it, but it, it thrills me. And outside of the sort of moral question of like, well, is it wrong for me to be thrilled by these things? But just that's what it is. It's a ride for me. It's thoroughly entertaining the whole way through. I'm having a blast the whole time. And Jason, I totally hear that it could be a version where we're like, well, what? How does he reanimate? How did he survive that? I don't care. Like that'd be equivalent of like. Oh, uh, it's the midichlorians. Oh, thank you. Good. I'm glad that got explained. That really makes the force more interesting. As opposed to Jason being this figure that really is just death. That no matter how fast you run or how smart you are, that, that Jason's going to um, be there in front of you. And I think you're missing of how interesting he is. For example, Crispin Glover. Now, he's been watching the whole night, okay? Jason's, Jason's like, he's taking his time. You might not think he's taking his time. He might just seem like an oaf. Wait a second. He waits for Crispin Glover to have his sexual encounter, then kills him with the corkscrew. In a sense, he got screwed again. And then, though we don't see this, remember that Jason then took the time to hang up Crispin Glover's body outside the door so it will be discovered when the girl is running through the house and opens the back door and like, oh my God, there he is. He's hiding bodies left and right. He's, do he's doing art. 
The guy's an artist. He's he's trying to scare people. Like there's easier ways to kill all these people, but he's setting up these scares and these discoveries like like a true artist. No, and I I it's something I remember from at least in my memory from the first one as well that this idea of picking them off one by one which requires a certain amount of planning and like you say like moving bodies. I did it it does though also end up to me being a little comical because for example I get you know she opens the door there's Crispin Glover like crucified to the door frame so that that door you can't go through but then she opens the front door and there's a there's a dead body yes. in front of the door but instead of just stepping over that body and running away, she decides to go out a window. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. Little... I agree. There's some, there are definitely some, some choices that some of the characters make. They're like, oh, you know, probably, I mean, Jason comes after and just like, he just pushes Crispin Glover off. Like, Well, and all, I mean, yes, we could, I mean, and the, I don't think the point of this podcast is to necessarily... Uh, poke holes poke holes right I, I think we're starting from a place of you see no holes and I only see holes so we'll just take that as like a granted but <laughs> but certainly there are, there are some classic don't go into the basement moments where like Rob they come back to try and make sure Tommy's okay he's okay and they're like stay here while we leave you alone to go to this other house and then they get to the other house and he basically says to Trish stay here in this house where there are dead bodies while I go to the basement alone, basically let's split up, which is like the last thing you want to do. Anyway, there's a lot of those moments that I found interesting, but I want to go back to your point about the midichlorians. Okay. Okay. Because I agree with you in the same way that you wouldn't want to watch Jaws and get some backstory about how when Jaws was a baby shark, you know, some kid <laughs> uh, harpooned it, its mother, and now it's taking revenge. Like we don't care. It's just a man-eating shark. Uh, it's nature, and it is going to kill because that is its nature. And I and I understand that. I, I guess maybe because Jason is human, or an Izzy, I don't know. There is a certain sense of I, w I want I want to identify, I want to understand this character, I want to know how this person can can become this killing machine in the same way, again, to go back to Frankenstein. And I would love to revisit the old universal horror movies. Oh yeah. Where, where Frankenstein's monster to me is partly so compelling because of his clear internal struggle with, am I human? And to me, like even as a full fledged human, I know what that feels like to sometimes struggle with my own identity, my own humanity. And the fact that Jason gives us none of that, I don't mind it in Jaws because it's a shark. But with, with Jason, it just felt, it just felt this like inevitability. And I know that's partly your point because he represents death. And he also is, is a faceless creature. I mean, this goes back a little bit to what was being done in the late 70s and these guys coming into the film scene, Carpenter among them, probably the most famous for sort of highlighting this idea that the known creature is less scary for being known. The understandable or relatable monster is less scary for that reason. And moving towards, what if I give you something that you cannot relate to, that you cannot even recognize in some ways as being human, that is just an unstoppable force. The rules of humanity, uh, emotional and physical, do not apply. And, and that being the monster that sort of attacks. It's just this idea that the, the blank face, the 
the, the being that is not human, that doesn't even have a face, is more terrifying than the one that I can kind of understand that he's just like me, but went through some bad stuff. Yeah, and, and, and I guess for me, it's not more terrifying. And as I've said, ultimately, once I understood the setup that, okay, Jason's not dead, clearly, because you would never be without that. And then it's just going to be a sort of ceaseless string of more and more grotesque ways to kill someone. Yes. I checked out. I was bored. I didn't see the point. And especially since, as we've talked about, I mean, this is our fundamental disagreement. <laughs> like, that doesn't do it for me. Uh, you give me a movie that that's all it is, that's all it's about, that's all it wants to be about. Well, I mean, uh, Crispin Glover is dealing, you know, he's, he's got the question of whether he's a dead fuck or not. That's a that's part of it. Oh, he's definitely a dead fuck, <laughs> which I suppose was the ultimate punchline of that joke. <laughs> it is true that I, 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 I did give you one here, and I was like, how we've got to, there's no way to avoid uh, with any clear conscience to, to, to avoid the Friday the 13th franchise. So I wanted to give you one that, in my opinion, is the most Friday the 13th-ish of all of them. And this was it. I totally see where you're getting at. For me, it's a blast. It's a ride. It's so fun. In fact, watching it again, it's more fun than terrifying. I'm not terrified when I watch this now. I just have a lot of fun. Well, and I, and I think that's key. I think if you are a fan of the genre, then I could totally... This is a roller coaster. Yes. This is... If you've been on that roller coaster a bunch of times, you know every curve, you know every hill. It doesn't make it less exciting when you're going around them. And I get that. I'm just not a fan of the roller coaster. I mean, it's funny because when you, if I was to take a quote that you said, but without your tone earlier and say, hey, there's a movie, Jason's still alive, and there's going to be a series of increasingly <laughs> devastating ways he kills people. <laughs> people are going to go, sign me. Can I buy tickets now? <laughs> <laughs> that's all, that's all we want. It's just that you said it with a tone that makes it sound bad. <laughs> oh yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> so we should probably move on to your your favorite segment. Walking me through the sequels in this interminable franchise. Yes, why don't you go ahead and keep a mental count as I'm going through this. Okay, so Friday the 13th, 1980, huge hit. Friday the 13th Part 2 happens like a year or two later. Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, woo, both of those last two directed by Stephen Miner. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. After this, Jason's dead, right? And they did, to answer your question, everyone thought he was dead. Uh, when they're filming, they're like, wow, it's so weird. He's dead, oh my gosh. 1984, and we killed him off. In 1985, Friday the 13th, A New Beginning comes out a year later. <laughs> but it's it's not really Jason killing. It's, a, it's kind of a confusing who it is. There's a bit of a mystery to it. We get to Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. In this one, Jason becomes fully zombified. Tommy Jarvis is, comes back. He's been in the mental asylum, and he basically digs up Jason's body. He's like, I got to make sure he's dead. He stabs him with this big iron pole. The iron pole is shot with lightning, and Jason comes back and kills a bunch of people. It's a really rock and roll movie, and it's one of my favorite of the whole series. Then, at the end of that, they, they basically sink Jason to the bottom of Camp Crystal Lake. So he's just sunk and way down there and his eye open so he's still down there then they have in uh new blood in 88 friday the 13th part 7 new blood in this one jason's still under the lake but he meets up with a girl who has telekinetic powers wait does it all take place underwater no he comes out of the lake and ah. and then they battle out uh, with her telekinetic powers and him with his jason powers 
are they fighting together or oh, against they're against each other? Each other. Yeah, she okay. she's the teenager with telekinetic powers, and he's Jason. And then they have Friday the Thirteenth Part. Uh, what was I on? Part Eight. Uh, yes. that's Jason Takes Manhattan. Um, <laughs> so wait, is that a musical? What? <laughs> Takes Manhattan. There is there is a, a big sequence on a dance floor. Uh, like a disco okay. dance floor. It mainly, it's mainly Jason on a boat. So Jason's <laughs> boat. <laughs> wait, wait, it's called Jason Takes Manhattan. Yeah. And it takes place on a boat. They don't, they get to, it's a group of seniors on a senior trip to Manhattan. It just takes them. You mean like elderly people? No, no, senior, seniors in high school. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it's only they don't get to it's only act three they get to new york uh and it's mainly filmed in toronto um the, all right they do a little Times square sequence and and at the end of that jason is killed well he's not he's he's, he's actually transformed back to baby jason uh well, by, hold on by hold the, on by the Wait. toxic sludge that runs through the sewers of new york so he benjamin buttons like he <laughs> turns back into a baby <laughs> yes yes basically <laughs> basically um so that happens and and then the next one is jason goes to hell doesn't even it's not even uh, friday the 13th the next one is officially called jason goes to hell so that's part nine and that's called the final friday sure it is in this sure one, it is and this one jason is able to sort of switch bodies he can kind of be jason but then anyone he touches basically he can take up their body unless you see him in a mirror and then you see the real jason so he's going around sort of body swapping and killing a bunch of people. It had an amazing ending because at the end, there's his mask, the hockey mask, and it's laying on the dirt like, ah, oh, we finally killed him. And this hand, a clawed, gloved hand, comes out of the ground and pulls the mask under, which set aflame the desire for a Jason versus Freddy movie. But we weren't going to get that yet. Instead, we got Jason X the 10th of the series, he goes to space. Uh, basically, oh, come on. we capture- you're, just, you're making this up. You're just riffing. We capture Jason. This Jason is your like bizarre fantasy <laughs> of where they might take the franchise. This is all true. They, they capture Jason. They sort of freeze dry him. Like it's the only way to keep him. And then uh, a group of humans, like a thousand years in the future, basically hundreds of years in the future are visiting earth on a field trip because earth is no longer inhabited. And they're like, oh my gosh, look who we uncovered. Uh, let's unfreeze him. And on the spaceship, he comes to life and starts murdering people. Uh, and then it, the, the tagline of the movie was, evil gets an upgrade because <laughs> because they kill him at some point and then the the computer kind of like on the ship puts him back together and heals him and makes him kind of a cyborg jason okay as long as you recognize that this is i mean they, they are parodying themselves oh I mean, yeah this i mean okay. there's, there's actually there's a scene inside in that one in, in jason x where jason is uh running after the people and they get, and someone stops one of the kids in the ship go, oh i got an idea We'll lead him through the holodeck, and they put something into the basically the sort of Star Trek holodeck version. And Jason is suddenly at Camp Crystal Lake, circa 1980, and there's these two girls, and they're like, "Hi, hey, we're gonna have premarital sex, hey!" And and, and Jason's confused by it, and then you just see him. <laughs> He's got one of the girls in a sleeping bag and he's beating the other to death with the girl in the sleeping bag. I can't even picture that. I don't want to, but I'm trying it's and I can't. It's a great movie. And then the next in the series, number 11, is Freddy versus Jason, uh, in which he does fight uh, with 
Freddie Mercury. <laughs> Freddie Mercury, yes. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and Freddie, then, Freddie Mercury could whip his ass. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd see that movie. And then there was a 2009 remake. In the remake, they kind of basically remake one through four. They kind of combine all those uh, stories into one. And since then... Since then, there was there was talk about making a thirteen. Actually, for a little while, I was like in the running as a writer. It was a very exciting time for me, but they have not been able to do it. There's a lot of uh, who owns the rights. Like I invented Friday the Thirteenth. I wrote the first script, and they're like, "Well, I don't need Friday the Thirteenth. I just need uh, Jason." And like, you didn't even have Jason as a killer, and it's been in legal battles for years now, and that's that's holding up up uh, any more films being made. I'm so sad that they've not been able to make another one. Though I, I will say, if anyone could redeem this franchise, it would be Owen Edgerton. Well, I thank you. From, from your mouth to God's ear. I don't know if God has a lot of opinions or <laughs> I don't know if he's weighing in on this one. <laughs> so favorite scene, worst scene, or least favorite scene. Yes. I, I'm sticking with my original, which is any scene with Crispin Glover. Yeah. Was my favorite scene. I will do a, a small shout out to, oh my God, he's killing me, uh, as a scene when, when uh, Rob, is that his name? Rob. Narrates his own death. It goes, <laughs> it goes on for so long. <laughs> he's killing, oh no, you gotta run away. Oh, he's really killing me. <laughs> Just keep going. Oh goodness, that uh, did make me laugh a little bit. Yes, uh, I'm with you. Um, okay, my least favorite, to choose the least favorite, is it, it, you know the 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 boat scene the 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 yellow dinghy basically the dinghy that the girl swims uh -huh. in. yeah I, I I think those I wanted those those kills to be a little more uh, cool they seem like they're a little underdone <laughs> that's all I can say all right well uh, I think we should I think we should talk about what we're we're gonna watch next okay so I had a thought and see what you think about this I thought we could leave it up to our listeners both of them to vote. <laughs> Of what movie it is. Uh, sure. We'll, we'll see if people chime in. I'd okay. love that. So here are the three. They're, they're in my category is The. <laughs> the definite article. Yeah. So it's The Descent, The Shining, or The Witch. I have seen two of those. I will not say which two. Oh. But I have seen two of those. And I, I think from what I've heard of all three, I, I'm up, I'm game for anything. Okay, good. Yeah, I, this is, I, I'm, I'm moving us away with all three of those from 80s slashers. You, you did Basket Case, you did Final Chapter. I'm very proud of you for experiencing these films. Um, so we're moving to these three. They're not, I, I didn't want them to all be the same, but definitely The Shining and The Witch are kind of like in that art house horror, but they're all brilliant films. And that's the horror. The horror, horror. Thanks so much, Owen, for introducing me to smack dab in the middle of the Friday the 13th. Now I realize, no, it's just the first third. Just the first third. Because they've made 45 of them. <laughs> we have uh, an announcement. We are, we are, we're going to do a live show coming up. Is that true? That's true. Yes. Here in Austin, Texas at uh, Fantastic Fest. Uh, it's the 15th anniversary of Fantastic Fest, one of the best genre film festivals in the world. And as part of the programming, Russell and I will be doing a live presentation of the horror there at the Highball at the Alamo Draft House here in Austin, Texas. So that's exciting. So everyone can bring their ripe vegetables to throw at me during uh, a, an entire conference based around this genre 
that I don't like. Yeah. So that'll be great for me. It's going to be good for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll have more details on that soon. Uh, where can we find you out there on the social web, Owen? Oh, I'm on the Facebook and I'm also on the Twitter, uh, Owen underscore Edgerton, O-W-E-N underscore E-G-E-R-T-O-N. How about you, Russell? And I am at Russell Sharman on Twitter. You can also send us longer feedback at thehorrorpod at gmail.com. Do send us your recommendations. What movie do you want to subject me to uh, in the coming weeks? The Shining, The Descent, or The Witch? I look forward to uh, having to sit through another one of these damn movies. Mm. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Russell.